Welcome, Duke fans. It is May 10th, Mother's Day. Today is also graduation day at Duke University, and welcome to the DBR podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. I am joined by my usual partners in crime, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, say hi. Good morning, everybody. I got my uh, You Can't Handle D Duke football shirt on this morning. Very nice, very nice. Donald, what are you wearing? Uh, I got my go-to uh, Duke basketball shorts on that I uh, uh, love wearing uh, to the gym and when I play softball. I'm in my pajamas. Uh, and we, <laughs> Jason, it's almost lunchtime for you. Yeah, well, I, I, it, it's Mother's Day. I made breakfast in bed for my wife. So I was in the kitchen all morning. I just finished cleaning up. Um, I think it's appropriate that I haven't changed into regular clothes. All right. Fair enough. We now know way too much about what Jason is wearing. Um, Hey, folks, we have a very special guest with us today. He's a former Duke player, easily one of the most beloved Blue Devils of all time. He's one of the great ambassadors of the program. He's really well known for his incredibly contagious smile, his positive outlook on life. He was ACC Player of the Year. He was an All-American. He wears a Duke National Championship ring on his finger. It is my great, great honor to welcome Nolan Smith to the podcast. Nolan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank y'all for having me on. It's a great day. It is a great day. Um, Nolan, um, there, there are three of us here with you, um, and so we're going to divide this interview into three parts, if that's okay with you. I'm going to start by asking you a bit about your professional basketball career and your future plans. Sam's going to turn to uh, your relationship with Quinn Cook and the national title that they just won. And then Donald mm-hmm. wants to reflect a bit on your time at Duke and the national title that you won. Does that sound good? Okay. Sounds good All to right, me. So let yeah, great. Let me start with this. Um, I, how would you compare the transition from high school to college to the transition that you had from college to the pro game? I mean, you had some setbacks in both, but uh, did your you know experience at Duke help you stay focused? Uh, you know, as, as you became a professional, and and you know, admittedly, the the professional career for you, you know, is has has struggled at times. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a change. From each level you go up, you know, it gets harder and you have to learn quicker, you know, and it's just it's just how you, it's just your mindset going to each one and you know, I feel like I was ready when I came into college, but I obviously had some you know, setbacks in my early years, just you know, trying to grow up and mature as a player and then it finally hit me and then, you know, going to the NBA where you know, I felt like I was ready, but you know, in the NBA I feel like you know, when I look back at it, it's more than basketball. Once you get to the NBA there's business there's business behind it as well. And, you know, I walked in some very t- into some very tough t- uh, situations that I'm now, you know, I now feel like I'm ready for. Uh, once I come off this injury, off this 20 ACL, that I've been back into rehabbing. But, you know, I feel like all in all, you know, the experience of it all just made, just have made me tougher, made me, you know, hungrier, made me ready to just get back on the court and get back into the NBA where I, where I belong. So, so your your future plan is now that you've rehabbed at Duke, um, you're you're planning to try and uh, uh, make it to the NBA again. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, after after times overseas, you know, I, I, I had some good times over there. Got to see some cool cities in Europe, but nothing like being home. Nothing like being in America. And I don't feel like I got the real opportunity that 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 I, that I feel like I deserved. And um, you know, I'm ready to go get the opportunity wherever it might be. And I feel like after coming off this ACL, I'm going to come back stronger than ever and, you know, ready to play. You know, a lot of people think it's really easy to play overseas. You mentioned seeing cool cities, but but I know there are challenges to the international game. Um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like um, playing over in Europe? 
it's very lonely. <laughs> it's lonely. Uh, go over there by yourself. You're in a different country. You know, the game is different, especially from the NBA. You know, it's more like a college game. So after playing the NBA for two years and college, you need time to change your game. They call it travels a lot on American players. You know, they really the game's a lot slow over there, so you have to adjust. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to adjust, you know, quickly. And I had, I had a great season in Croatia my first year. And then the first month, I was in Istanbul. I didn't play. And then that's when I came back and, you know, got hurt in the D-League. But Europe is it's a great experience, you know, all in all, because you're, you're over there. You know, you're learning a new language. You're trying. So I try to learn a little bit of, of, of Croatian's language. And, you know, you get to learn, you know, the stories that you get to tell your kids, you know, when, you, when you're old. Hey, say something in Croatian for me. Takosti. Uh, what does that mean? Dobro. Kakosti is how are you? And then you would respond, Dobro. Dobro is good. Fala, uh, thank you. Uh, so I, I love I learned the base. So for my kids, I can have a little, very basic conversation and greetings. <laughs> well, so on the DVR podcast, here we are. We're learning a little bit of Croatian with Nolan Smith, which is a uh, something I never, never thought we would do. Hey, Nolan, <laughs> I, I heard I heard through the grapevine that you may at some point you know, I know you want you're, you're going to still try for that uh, for the NBA to get back to the NBA, but at some point we may be seeing you in a suit on the Duke sidelines. Um, uh, ha- have you talked to Coach K at all about that? I haven't. I haven't spoke to him about it, but uh, I could definitely see myself doing that in the in the future. Not not sure how near that future is, but definitely in the future. And obviously, if if uh, the plan after this injury doesn't go you know, the way I feel like it's going to go then it could be sooner sooner rather than later. But, you know, just to be back at Duke, you know, it's going to feel like home. And, you know, to be sitting, to be able to possibly learn under Coach K, you know, before before he shuts it down, not, not sure how long that's going to be. But, you know, I'm sure everybody has a feeling where it can't be too much longer. <laughs> so, you know, that opportunity comes about. And I, I, I see myself coaching. I, I would love to take it. Uh, you know, uh, my last question for you is about next year's team. I know you've been on campus for a little while now, so you've got to know some of the guys. What kind of club do you think Duke will have next year, and who's going to take on the role that Quinn did of being the leader on next year's team? Uh, this, this team was very, very special, and it was, it was great to be around them. Um, you know, they, they just had a great camaraderie, and I saw it from the time I got back here, you know, from the injury, I was able to just, you know, interact with them and Watch them grow throughout the season, throughout the, the trouble time they went through, like mid-season, and and when they just started to grow into the team, they became at the end. You know, it was, it was great to see. Dylan, thanks so much for for chatting with me. I'm gonna go over to Sam Klein now. All right. Um, <clears throat> hey, Nolan, uh, fellow class of 2011 uh, graduate. Um, yes, today's graduation day. I think uh, I think one of the last conversations I had with you would have been on graduation day. Uh, what was that four years ago for us? So um, it's nice to uh, nice to talk to you again. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the the team this year. You you kind of started it with Jason. Um, so you, if I'm remembering this correctly, you you tore your ACL back in January. Is that right? Yes. And then and then you came back to Duke for the for the rehab process for that, which, as I can tell you from experience, is is lengthy and complicated and maybe not so fun. Um, yeah. But uh, but so you've been back with the you've been back with the Duke program now for a few months. Um, what's it like being back on campus and 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 working out with the 
you know, maybe with some of the guys and rehabbing your knee and, and just being around the program again? It's great being around. Um, obviously for the wrong reasons, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. And for me, you know, I look at it as a blessing in disguise. You know, I was able to be here and one witness this year's national championship. You know, I was able to move in with my little brother, Quinn, and uh, watch him finish out his season in an amazing way. And, you know, and just gain relationships with the players on this team and, and just watch them, watch them grow. So, you know, it was, it was an amazing time. You know, while rehabbing, as, as frustrated as I wanted to be, you know, I actually felt like I was doing something. You know, I was able to, you know, come in and speak to them and make sure they were ready. And, you know, they, they actually they helped me get get through the tough days of my rehab. <laughs> so um, if we're going to qualify it, how much do you feel like you were a part of this national championship run that the team went on? I mean, you've been with them now for, for you know, it was like most of the ACC season. Um do you feel like you were you were a part of this team this year? Uh, a part of me feels like it. I know I wasn't, but <laughs> because I was in there when they were coming and getting tape for for practices and stuff like that, you know, it was great just to be around, just to see the, see those guys and see how close they were. You know, it was just, it was it was great. You know, if I was overseas or wherever I was playing, I wouldn't be able to see it. So to see a team get as close as my 2010 team did. You know, it was it was a great feeling. You know, being able to talk to John, and you know, he would give me little little flashbacks of how he felt like this team was so close, just like we were. You know, it was, it was special. And you you mentioned now Quinn Cook a couple times, and I and and you refer to him as your little brother, which is really nice. Um, how you know you've you've obviously been friends with him for a long time, and you've and you've seen him go through his Duke experience. Can you talk about how he's changed from the time that he was a freshman? And there's been a lot written about you know how he he needed an attitude adjustment when he was a freshman. Now to becoming a senior, and Coach K has said that he's one of the best leaders he's ever had in the program. Um, mm-hmm. You know what what have you seen from him over the last four years, and specifically this year, um, becoming the you know the the distinguished leader on a on a championship team? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's been it's been great to just see. You know, obviously I've been watching his career very closely in his ear. You know, throughout his four years and. You know, knowing him since he played for, you know, the Maryland Vipers, and you know now to graduating from Duke, you know, uh, you know he, he was always a talented guy, but he always had, you know, somewhat of an attitude because he was just so talented. But you know, he never really grew up. You know, so he, you know, to describe this year is basically watching a boy turn into a man, and he he knew this year in order for them to be special and be successful what he had to do. You know, we had talked about it ahead into the season and, you know, he was ready for that. And, you know, Coach K trusted him, believed in him as a leader. And, you know, for him to be called one of the greatest leaders to come to Duke is, is great. Um, and, and I want to, um, I want to talk about, uh, back to you a little bit. Um, you've been, uh, I'll make sure I have my question straight here. Sorry. Um, oh, You've uh, you were recruited by Duke, sort of like in the mid two thousands, and you and you came uh, to campus in the fall of two thousand seven. Uh, Jason referenced some uh, some troubles that you had freshman year. You didn't you didn't get a lot of playing time, um, you know, and and it seemed like you were frustrated by that. And and I know there were stories. I don't know how I don't know how how much any of this you know was close to coming true, but there were stories that you were thinking about transferring. Um, our uh, assistant coach Johnny Dawkins, who is who is a, a 
key figure to you, you know, as, as I understand. He left after our freshman year to be the head coach at Stanford. Um, what was that like at the end of your freshman year, um, you know, having, having those tough times, and, and what do you think was, was important to, to overcome it and, and have you stick it out at Duke? Yeah, it was definitely tough after that year, after not playing as much as I'd like to. And then Coach Dawkins leaving, somebody I call Uncle Uncle Johnny. <laughs> you know, when he left, it was like, all right, who am I going to trust? You know, who am I going to run to when I'm 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 not playing? I might not play next year. You know, do they do they still trust me? Or you know, all these questions that go on in the player's head after after sitting. You know, you know, first things first. Coach Johnny told me, um, you know, trust Duke and trust Coach K. And, you know, when he told me that, you know, I was kind of like, you know, why? You know, why should I trust them? You know, I was sitting on the bench for most of this year. But, you know, I sat down and thought about it. it was like, you know, I'm not going to run from anything. You know, that's never been my personality to, you know, run when it gets tough. And I knew when I came back I was going to be ready to, you know, start, you know, which I did my sophomore year, you know, for most of the year. And, you know, that just, that's just that's just who I am as a, as a person, as a player, just, you know, fight through everything, you know, fight through adversity, and I knew everything was eventually going to work out. And then, and then talking about Coach K a little bit, um, you've, like I said, you've you've been sort of part of this program for almost ten years now. Um, yeah. What has uh, what has changed about Coach K in that time? Has he has he changed the way he relates to the players, and and also sort of what what qualities in him do you think set him apart? Um, you know, people love to talk about what a what a fantastic coach he is relative to you know all the other great college basketball coaches out there, but what sets him apart and, and what's the relationship like with him? Uh, coach K, Coach K is adapting. And that's what, that's what the great, greatest coach in all, of all time is supposed to do. And that's what he's done, you know, over these last few years and watching him, you know, get the Kyrie's and Austin Rivers and Jabari, the Jalil and Tyson and Justice and these guys. And, you know, he, he's building a relationship with these guys that, it's going to last more than just one year. But those guys are coming in, and, you know, he's hip to what they want to do. They're, he's getting them to buy into what he wants to do and what Duke is supposed to do, and he's making that connection. And it just makes 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 Duke University even more of a special place now because, you know, he, he's not the Coach K of 10 years ago. He, he's up in 2015, and he's going to continue to get better every single year. He's hungry. He has a fire, and he he he, look, he looks younger. <laughs> you know, every, as, when I was a freshman, he looks younger now than he did then, and he's gonna continue to get better. That's that's what he wants to do. He wants to win. All right, thanks, Nolan. I'm gonna turn it over to Don Wine, who's gonna um who's gonna ask you a little bit more about about your legacy at Duke. Um, so Donald, take it away. Thanks, uh, Nolan. This is Donald Wine here. Um, so you, you we've talked about you being on the 2010 national championship team. So you look up in, in Cameron, and, and now there's going to be five banners. There's going to be uh, the banner for, for the team that you were on and the banner you know, that, that your little brother, uh, as you call Quinn, uh, was on. Yeah. So what does the legacy of, of your championship banner in Cameron mean to you, and also part- and particularly now that it gets to hang next to Quinn's? Yeah, it's a, it's a special feeling, and now it just, it just doubles up. I remember my first – Time sitting in Cameron, Coach K, you know, he kind of he's talking to us about the season. He goes, you know, look up there in the Raptors. And he goes, what will your legacy be? You know, what will you leave behind? You know, one day when you come here with your your, your future son or daughter and you look up there, you're going to want to say, you know, I put that up there. 
So I did that. Every time I've been back in camera, I, I look up there at the at the banners and say, you know, I put up, you know, a, a good amount of banners up there. And now when I look at that championship one, look the side, I'm going to say, you know, my little my little brother put one up there too. And that's that's going to be even more special to tell my son now. Now you have a lot of pressure on your son. You got you got to put one up there next to his. <laughs> you know, so it's it's just it's it's a great thing. It's special. Um, you know, being an indie to witness it was even more just breathtaking. You know, words can explain how I felt then, but you know, that's that's just how life works. So we we always talk about the team uh, when they win the championship, but uh, what we really don't get to find out is what happens to the championship team after college, after that after that year. So I know the team that you won the championship with is all over the place. Some are still playing professionally. Some uh, one is on the Duke bench, uh, John Shire, and some have yeah. gone in life. Um, who who do you keep in touch with? I really I keep in touch with really everybody. It might not be on a daily basis, but you know, from John to Kyle to Lance to Zeus, Jordan Davidson, Andre, Ryan, Mason Miles, all those guys. You know, it might not be every day, but because of that championship, we're brothers forever. And when you do something special with a group, you're never gonna forget that. And you know, it, it it goes on forever. You know, they say champions forever. They they mean that. And you know, seeing these guys now, you know, when they were leaving each other and getting ready to go on, get ready for the draft, these guys, you know, they're hugging in the locker room. You know, Jalil even shed some tears his last day. You know, on campus, he's probably mad that I'm sharing this with y'all, but you know, he he was really emotional because he he loved Duke University. He he did something special with with a group of guys, with Quinn, with ties and those guys, and he's going to remember forever, and they'll, they're going to have a relationship. You know, they'll be each other's weddings one day. Shifting gears a little, uh, just slightly, uh, the NBA playoffs are now in full swing, as you as you well know. Uh, I think they've been uh, some of the more fantastic playoffs in, in recent memory, uh, particularly with people uh, winning several games over the last couple of days on bank shots. Uh, what do you think of the playoffs so far, and do you have any favorite players or teams among the ones that are left? Really, my the one guy I'm watching these playoffs and team is Chicago. They've been they've been my team because I'm really a I'm not a fan of too many guys. Cause I'm I'm a player, so I can't verbally come out and say I'm a fan because I don't like to do that. <laughs> cause I'm a competitor, <laughs> but Derrick Rose and you know, seeing what he's been through and knowing him as a person, he's just a very humble and hardworking guy who really just Gonna stay as quiet as you can see after he has a game winning shot. You know he has a straight face. You know, and you know after the game he says, "I'm built for this." You know, he just he doesn't do too much talking. He just loves to play the game. He goes out and plays it the right way, and I respect him for that. So, you know, just really watching him and seeing what he can do with that team. And you know, I think they can do something good. But as a whole, you know, the playoffs are great. I've been watching them all. And we'll get you out of here on this question. Uh, this is to kind of wrap it up full circle. Uh, we know a lot about Coach K, the coach, but we don't know a lot about Coach K when he interacts with the team internally. What are some funny Coach K stories that you can share with us? <laughs> funny Coach K stories? Like pregame, pregame, or like off the court? Uh, anything, any, anything that sticks out in your mind. I mean, I think the main thing that sticks out to me is, you know, Coach is just, just a regular guy around us. You know, I don't think a lot of people would, think that but you know he comes in the locker room you know jokes around with us talks to us as if you know he's just a I wouldn't say friend but just like 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 a father you know a father figure you know he comes in there 
you know, he's he's talking to us, might talk to us about our moms, about, about our sisters, and about what they're doing. You know, he knows everything about every player, about their families, what's going on. He's he's connected. You know, he doesn't just go sit up on the sixth floor and look down on Kville and think, oh, life is great. You know, he he's down there with us and you know, building a relationship with us that you know it's gonna gonna last last a long, long time. You know, and that's that's how he wants it with every single one of his players that come through. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I got to jump in. Nolan, you said he's funny. There's got to be, like, you said he tells jokes. Tell me a Coach K joke. Please, please tell me a Coach K joke. <laughs> Man, let's see if I, can think, if I can think of one. He doesn't really tell jokes, you know. It's just it's just he, he is a funny person naturally, so he's always making slick comments. But to give, to give you all a story, you know, best story that comes to my head is a pregame story. Where he comes in with a sword, and this is before the Carolina game, and the message was fight, and he just lifts lifts the sword up high above his head and just starts screaming like like the movie 300, and we just we all get up and yell with him. We start jumping in a circle, and that's probably one of the greatest films I've ever been around with Coach K. That is awesome. <laughs> I love that story. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Nolan, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time. I think I said I'd only take 15 minutes, and I think we took more like 20 or 30. So thanks a lot, hey, man. Wait, I, have, I, I, I do oh, have one ahead, more Sam. shot on him. I have yeah, one more yeah, shot. I'm sorry. Yeah. Nolan, who is your favorite Duke mascot of all time? Oh, Sam Klein. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Kyle. Oh, the best. Thanks, buddy. All right. Hey, Nolan, again, uh, thanks a lot. We appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world, whether it be uh, in the NBA or on a Duke bench or whatever else it is you, you find next. Uh, you, you know that Duke fans are, are rooting for you no matter where you are. Um, uh, we, we just really appreciate you, you taking the time for us, and, and we appreciate that, that you've been a part of the program because you are one of the great, great ambassadors of Duke basketball. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you all. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll, we'll have you back sometime soon. Absolutely. So, guys, we were so lucky to have Nolan Smith join us. I can't believe that. That was really great. Uh, he gave us so much. My favorite moment, um, aside from the Coach K waving a sword at them and screaming like he was in th a Spartan in 300, which is undoubtedly everyone's favorite moment <laughs> from the interview. My favorite reflection was when he was talking about um, the NBA and Donald, you asked him, you know, what players does he root for? And he's like, you know, I'm not a fan. I'm a competitor. I, uh, I, I don't root for other players because they are potential, you know, future competitors with me. I thought that was a really interesting mindset kind of thing from him. Donald, what, what did you like best in that interview? Oh, I love that. And, and I do, I, I do love when he uh, was talking, reflecting on his time at Duke and, and the legacy that um, the national championship brings and, and, the fact that he shares it so much with Quinn, who now has his own banner to come back to school and look at. Uh, and he, you know, talking about future, uh, future kids that, you know, would have a lot of pressure um, uh, when they came to Duke. And so I, I think that was a ringing endorsement that, you know, whenever the time comes that, you know, no one has a kid who turns 17 or 18 years old, uh, that Duke has a pretty good shot at him. Yeah. I liked them. Um, you know, we asked him about coach K and, and the the Spartan story side, which had me uh, cracking up pretty hard, I had to turn off my microphone for a second there. Um, 
but uh, <laughs> he, you know, when when Nolan came to Duke, that was like right. It, it was the it was the season after we lost to um, to VCU in the first round, and it was like the first time Duke had lost in the first round in like since the eighties or something. Um, on the, on the I'm sure will correct me, but. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk like right around then. It was like, what's going on with Coach K? You know, the, they haven't been back to the championship for a while. And like leading up to the 2010 championship, it was like, you know, it, it, is he able to adapt to the, you know, to the current landscape? Does he know how to relate to the players anymore? And from, you know, from the time that Nolan and I were in school till now, it seems like the narrative has totally flipped. And now it's Coach K is more engaged than he has been ever. And Nolan seemed to reflect that. He said, <laughs> Coach K seems like he's younger than he was 10 years ago and that he doesn't. He doesn't see. Um, he doesn't see the point. Where, the point where he's going to slow down enough that he's not going to be able to coach anymore doesn't seem to be sort of in his sights yet, and that's incredible. Uh, and, and Nolan's had you know one of the best perspectives on that because he was there when Coach K was probably going through the roughest point in his in his coaching career, and is also there now to experience sort of the renaissance um, of of his college coach. I thought that was incredible, and it's and it's nice to hear it from somebody in the program the reflection that we see, I think a lot of sports writers make, which is, Oh, coach K is back. Well, what do you know? You know, the, 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 a lot of the media people aren't necessarily in there at the, at the practices and stuff with them, but, but Nolan is, he sees it all. Um, so getting that perspective on it was pretty neat. Yeah. I, I it, it was a, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, you guys both make great points about the stuff that was really interesting in that interview. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I, once we record the podcast and I do the editing, I'll, I'll go back and listen to it, you know, maybe once. Uh, I have a feeling I'll go back and listen to parts of that Nolan Smith interview multiple, multiple times. There was some real great insight. And, and I get, I will definitely listen to this, the Spartan story. That, that, that's my favorite thing that has happened so far on, on the, in the young history of this program. I, I hope oh, that oh, people, I hope that uh, we get a, a question from uh, uh, maybe one of, friend of the podcast, Laura Keeley, or somebody next season. Every Every uh, post game press conference has to start with what prop did you use to rile up your team? Uh, because I'm sure we may get one answer that will equal or or surpass this, but this is pretty hard to top. I don't know. I watch uh, a lot of Game of Thrones, and and the thought of of Coach K having a sword in his hand it just it makes me so hype. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to know what. When he walked in the locker room with a sword over his head, I don't know what the guy's thought. <laughs> like, has the guy finally flipped? I mean, I'd be a little scared. I'd be a what's little the whole, scared. What's the whole process of Coach K acquiring a sword? Like, who does he does – he, does he, like, ask the office assistant, like, hey, weird request. Just for this Wednesday, I know we have the UNC game. I'm going to need a sword, uh, like, 20 minutes before the game starts. Can we uh, – can we get that? Like, can we have a, <laughs> right. we have a sword and, in the locker room? And he has, to, he has to specify. It needs to be a Spartan sword. I don't need like a scimitar or something yeah, like no. that. I don't need a samurai yeah. sword. This needs to be a Spartan sword. Big, heavy, the kind of thing that would cut through, you know, metal armor. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. I have, I have more questions about that than I do anything. Um, yes. We should, have, we should have gone more in depth on that story. <laughs> <laughs> we should have led. It should, he should have started with the Coach K Spartan story, and we could have done nothing but ask questions about that. For the rest of the <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I think we. I think we need to move on. Yeah. Yes, we do need to move on. Um, there are other things going on in the world of uh, of, of Duke 
athletics, um, specifically related to Duke basketball. Just in the past few days, we heard that Justin Robinson, um, who, uh, you know, as everybody knows, is a recruit coming in uh, for next year, the son of David Robinson, the Admiral. Justin Robinson will be getting a scholarship. Um, if you listened, if you're a faithful listener to the DBR podcast, you know that we have interviewed Justin in the past and he told us that he would be a walk-on and that he would redshirt his freshman year to build up some strength. But um, suddenly the walk-on part seems to have gone away and he is getting a full scholarship to, to come play basketball. Sam, let me ask you, do you think that the fact that he's getting a scholarship maybe has changed the calculus on, on Justin a little bit? Um, I, you know, we've seen in the past that walk-on players who come in with less pedigree than Justin Robinson have earned scholarships. Um, you know, there, there, there were guys on the team this year, I think that Aguiluka and Kelly both eventually earned scholarships, but I think they had to be on the team for a little while before that happened. Um, so I don't think I don't think it changes what we expect for Justin Robinson maybe next year or the year after. It might say that the expectation for him is less to be in games at, only at the end during blowouts and more that hey he might he might get some playing time. I don't expect to see him on the court this year. I think that redshirting him still seems like a good idea. I mean we've got we we have a front court that has a lot of players in it. You know there's Plumlee and Jefferson who come back, Obi who was on the bench this year and then and then uh, Chase Jeter and and uh, Rank the Tank, I think, is is the way that uh, is my favorite nickname of his that I've heard uh, <laughs> Rank- for Rankovich. Um, so I, no, I don't think Justin Robinson is going to get to play this year. If he does, it, that would be surprising for a number of reasons. But I think it does say that that we should expect him to play eventually, and that we need to really. Continue him part of the big man depth maybe after this season um you know looking ahead so yeah I, I think it's very exciting for him i think it's great that that he has somehow already earned that um you know that respect from the from the coaching staff and and i am excited to see how he develops as a player donald you got anything to add about justin no i think it's i i, I think it's great it's a pleasant it was a pleasant surprise uh that he got a scholarship and i think he's uh, you know, when we spoke with him, he seems like the kind of kid who who's going to come in and work hard and 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 really wants to improve his game and get bigger and stronger. Um, we know he's still growing, so uh, this may be a chance for him to really fill out his his uh, his you know body frame and and get some get some weight on him and and probably be on the uh, on the uh, Kyle Singler cookout diet as uh, we talked about last podcast. But I, I think what's great about it is you know he. He's going to use that scholarship to his advantage. He's going to, you know, you know, really improve and work hard. And I feel like he's the type of kid um, by talking to him at the last pot or, or in the interview that we had on the on the podcast. He seems like a kid who's not going to rest on the fact that he is David Robinson's son. Um, and I think that's great. That's all you know. That's really what you what you want. You want a guy who's going to come in and work hard and be a part of the of the growing process. So uh, I, kudos to him. I'm glad he's got is getting a scholarship and. Uh, uh, looking forward to seeing him uh, maybe uh, maybe play next year or get ready for 2017. And if nothing else, he's the official Duke basketball player of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Indeed. Yes, yes, because he gave us an interview. That's right. <laughs> so we like him. We like him. Um, hey, I want to chat a little bit about uh, Duke making money. Guys making money in uh, the uh, the NFL, the NBA, elsewhere. Um, uh, let's start with the NFL, Donald. I know you've been paying close attention to the uh, NFL draft and uh, Dukey's getting ready to play in the NFL. Tell us, give us a little recap. Tell us what's going on with that. Sure. So uh, as everyone knows, on uh, April 30th, May 1st and May 2nd was the uh, 2015 NFL draft. And 
Dukies were well represented uh, in, in a surprise move. Um, the Detroit Lions, my Detroit Lions, traded down, got multiple, multiple draft picks and an offensive lineman, and in the end, got Lake and Tomlinson, and I could not be happier about that pick. Uh, it was a tremendous pick. He was drafted 28th overall, the first uh, Duke player taken in the first round since 1987, and speaks volumes. If, if there's anyone who's going to be drafted in the first round, Tomlinson was the, was the man. Not to be outdone, Sam Klein's team, the Washington Redskins, drafted yep. Jamison Crowder in the fourth round, 105th overall. Um, really which, good pick. Uh, and, and I think the only team, uh, I think uh, Jason was kind of hoping that his Atlanta Falcons, uh, at least the local team for him, uh, would draft a player, but not to be, uh, not to be uh, realized, unfortunately. But after okay, the draft, we've, we've, still got Sean, we've still got Sean Renfrey as our backup quarterback. You sure do. So we all have, to, we all have guys uh, representing our team. So uh, after the draft is when the rookie free agency begins, and we had seven players sign rookie free agent contracts. Josh Sneed with the Denver Broncos joining uh, Kenny Anuniki and just uh, Jawan Thompson uh, on the team. Uh, Desmond Johnson went with the Bengals. David Helton with the Jets. Uh, Anthony Ace Boone going, going home to my Detroit Lions. Takobi Cofield joining Jamison Crowder in Washington. Jordan DeWalt and Undijo with the Eagles. And Isaac Blakeney, who I think is, it was a great move in him signing with the 49ers because I think he will be a very big target uh, for uh, Colin Kaepernick to throw at. I think that's going to be great. So in total, we have 17 players uh, that were that went to Duke that are on, currently on NFL rosters, and I think that's fantastic. It shows speaks volumes about how the program has advanced in the last few years, and just how the type of players that we're getting. We're getting players that uh, now are on rosters and making making uh, moves. So, uh, congratulations to everybody who was selected in the NFL draft, as well as uh, signed rookie free agency. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. And Lake and Thomason, uh, once I get your jersey. Uh, hopefully you will join the podcast and somehow we'll get you to sign it. Hey, I'm correct. Just a few years ago, Duke would Duke was having, no one was getting drafted and, and no one was even really signing free agent contracts. It's like un the, the, the way that Cutcliffe not only has upgraded the talent, but clearly he's teaching that talent a heck of a lot better than, than it used to be. It's, it's stunning. It is just stunning. The turnaround in Duke football. Yeah, absolutely. I am. Um... I agree with all that. I think the most important thing to note is that all the, I think this, I don't remember where I, where I saw this, and, I, and it might have come from Duke, but all the guys who graduated this year uh, signed on with teams. Uh, like, like all the guys who were eligible and, and, or no, it was the guys who were, who participated in like, in like um, combine activities at Duke, like on senior day. All those guys are now um, at least in some way on NFL rosters. And yeah, getting a shot. They're all getting a yeah, shot. And, yeah. And a few years ago, it wasn't just that the guys were getting drafted, but they weren't even getting that opportunity. And I think that says it said a lot about each of the individual players. I mean, they have to they have to obviously meet with the teams and get the and get those contracts. But it says that you know the NFL scouting as a whole is now looking at Duke and saying those are guys we want at least to have in practice with us, and at least we need to we need to get closer looks at them. And and that's where I think the that that transformation really comes through is that is that. NFL teams want every one of our guys that want to go to the NFL, uh, at least you know, at least until they get on the practice field. So I'm excited about that. Obviously, as as Donald mentioned, my Redskins got a couple of Duke guys, so I'm really excited. I'm 
acquiring a Jamison Crowder jersey at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. And then, and then, as you guys know, I live uh, out in Colorado, um, and we now have Josh Need joining Juwan Thompson and Kenny Ananicki on the Broncos. So their representation is great. I'm I'm happy uh, that that all these football players are getting are getting real chances in the NFL. And and I think that Crowder and Isaac Blakeney in particular could end up being uh, really productive NFL players. I'm I'm. The Redskins have had problems the last few years. I don't want to get too deep into NFL analysis. I, I can't get that deep. But I know that the Redskins have had problems in the return game and that they've said that Crowder is expected to compete for that job. And we know from watching him that if Jameson Crowder is good at one thing, it is returning kicks for touchdowns. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, in Washington. Uh, yes, yes, I, I completely agree. He'll he'll make the Redskins easier for me to watch. I don't usually watch them all that much. Hey, I want to um, I want to shift gears a little bit. We're still talking about Dukies making money, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs, uh, especially Duke West, which is the LA Clippers. Um, I, I have become a huge Clippers fan in these playoffs, not just because my brother has season tickets and and goes to the games and cheers them on madly, but because um, the Clippers are. To a to some extent, um, really relying on a couple Duke guys to get it done for them. Blake Griffin has been incredible. I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I, Blakeman has been unreal in the playoffs. Although Blake Griffin, of course, has a Duke connection because he was coached in college by Jeff Capel. But uh, the two Dukies who are doing it for the Clippers are JJ Redick and Austin Rivers. Uh, JJ and Austin are both hitting forty five percent of their three pointers in the playoffs. Uh, they're both hitting above fifty percent of their three pointers in this series against Houston, which as I speak, the Clippers lead two games to one. Um, uh, Austin is averaging 17 points per game against the Rockets. JJ's getting 20 points per game against them. They're both, like I said, shooting the three really well, and it's a hugely efficient shot. Every time you hit a three-pointer, it's worth more than hitting a two-pointer. Um, but the other day, uh, game three was uh, incredible, uh, and mostly because of Austin Rivers. Um, it was a very tight game entering the third quarter, and then the Clippers went on a 18 to nothing run to basically end the game and bury the Rockets. And Austin Rivers had 13 points during that 18 to nothing run. Um, there was a amazing, great moment during it, where as Chris Paul, Chris Paul has been injured, um, not playing as much or not playing at all, and Austin has been getting Chris Paul's minutes. And Chris Paul turned to Doc Rivers during Austin's incredible run and said. This is one time you can stop being a coach and just enjoy being a dad, which is just such a wonderful, wonderful moment. And and that's what Doc was able to do. There was no coaching involved at that point because his team was burying a very, very good Rockets team. There's been a lot written and spoken about uh, Doc and Austin's relationship and um, the, the fact that uh, when... Doc brought Austin to the Clippers. A lot of people thought he was just throwing a lifeline to his son because Austin had really struggled in New Orleans. Um, he wasn't a guy, even though he was a high draft pick, he was not a guy that people saw as being an impact player in the NBA. And they said that, that you know, Doc was just sort of giving his son a break and that he would never play much of a role for the Clippers, although the Clippers were desperate for a backup point guard. Well, those people were wrong. Um, Austin was, Austin has been amazing in the playoffs. Um, uh, in, in the in the game against the Rockets the other day, he hit all seven of his two-point shots. He was seven for seven from the field on two-pointers. He was three of six on three-pointers. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing about Austin and Doc's relationship is that they even admit that it's more of a coach-player relationship than a father-son relationship because uh, for 
for many years, Doc was in Boston coaching the Celtics, and Austin was living in Florida. The, the family lived in Florida. Doc, you know, lived in Boston for you know half to two thirds of the year, and and so they didn't have as much of a father son relationship. And when they would get together, they would mostly get together and talk and work on Austin's basketball. So they've sort of had the coach player relationship more, a little bit more than the father son relationship for for their you know entire adult life for Austin's entire adult life since Austin was you know basically a, a early teenager um and like i said they admit that uh, it, it it's it's you know sort of a very interesting incredible relationship but back to the duke duke, duke connection the clippers uh, many people would say you know at this point look like the favorite to come out of the west the really impossible west and they're doing it on the back of two great Duke basketball players in JJ Redick and Austin Rivers, um, and it's just been tons and tons of fun to watch, and I've really, uh, I've really enjoyed that. And by the way, the other Dukey who's making an impact still in the playoffs is uh, Mike Dunleavy, who had the assist on uh, Jalen Rose's incredible game-winning three-pointer. Der- the other Derek Rose, Derek Rose, Derek Rose. Rose is on. Derek is on Rose. Oh my God, did I really do that, Jalen Rose? Who hates <laughs> Jalen will take it. Jalen Rose is yeah. a professional podcaster now. Uh, yeah. The guy Jalen Rose podcasts with ain't podcasting anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's true. We don't have to talk about that yeah. though. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that guy. That guy's a, that guy's a jerk. He doesn't like Duke either. Um. <laughs> so sorry. Derek Rose's game-winning three-pointer. The assist was credited to to Mike Dunleavy. I don't quite know how the NBA handles assists because basically Dunleavy throws it into Rose. Rose runs off of a screen. He, he takes like seven dribbles before he takes the shot. I'm not quite sure how that's an assist, <laughs> but um, in the official NBA scoring book, it goes as Mike Dunleavy assisting on the game-winning three-pointer. It's so that's my only, report. It was only two dribbles, and if you take two dribbles in the in, uh, NBA, you still get the assist. There was only two dribbles on that there play? Was, there was multiple steps. But there is only two dribbles. Ah, <laughs> now we're, now we're at, 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 the, uh, at the root of the issue here. Yes, but yes, uh, if you see in slow mo, there is only two dribbles taken, and that's and, why he gets the assist. And uh, and if you remember back, Nolan Smith mentioned to us during the interview that in the NBA, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot less dribbling and a lot more running around. Uh, as yeah, yeah, he he said one of the hard things. About- one of the hard things about playing in Europe is they call travels. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not about him. That's I mean that's that's the whole game. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was yeah. funny. Okay, uh, hey, hey Sam, you've got a uh, you've got a Dookie making money story that has nothing to do with him making money, right? Yeah, uh, and it's relevant especially today because as we mentioned, we're recording on the morning of graduation, and among all of the other uh, wonderful Duke alumni who who graduated today. We saw the story that Gerald Henderson, who left after the 2009 season, after his junior year, to go to go to the draft, and has been a very productive player with the Bobcats. Or now they're the Hornets, right? Now they're the Hornets. They used to be the Bobcats. Um, he uh, walked at graduation today. He finished his requirements, and so he's got his his bachelor's degree from Duke, which is awesome. Um, you know, the those guys always talk about when they leave that they want to come back and finish their degrees, and, and Gerald Henderson managed to do it. He's done it while being a you know a productive NBA player for the last six seasons, five seasons. So uh, you know, kudos to him for 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 following through with that. It's it's a great accomplishment for him, and and it's a it's another point for the program that that you're you're welcome to come back and finish your degree on your time if it's you know if you have to go make your money in league because we talk about how there's only so many years you have to to go be a professional athlete. Um, 
whatever time it takes, Duke will let you come back and finish the degree. And I think that says a lot about Gerald and about and about the program. So, uh, so big shout out for him. Yep, and congratulations to all those uh, Dukies who are making money and doing good things with it. And uh, yeah, it's it's awesome that that Gerald's getting his degree. Guys, we're about to wrap things up here. Um, time for some parting shots. Donald, do you have a parting shot? Last thing you want to uh, send the viewers off, with, send the listeners off with? Yeah, so I, I actually was going to do a parting shot uh, about Michael White, uh, who is the son of Kevin White, uh, taking over at uh, University of Florida as head basketball coach. But I also want to throw in a, sh- a shameless uh, self-plug. Um, this is something that happened on Tuesday. Uh, for those of you who may not know, I was uh, featured in a um, American Outlaws U.S. Soccer um, World Cup commercial. And that commercial on Tuesday won a sports Emmy. I don't know how, um, but it was <laughs> tremendously fantastic that now I am part of an Emmy Award winning uh, sports commercial uh, that was on ESPN last uh, all last year. So uh, we believe I believe that we did win. So thank you to everybody. And uh, thank you to ESPN for putting my face and my voice all in the in the commercial. Uh, and I, I just want to say that was one of the highlights of, of, of my young life so far. Um, but I also want to give a quick shout out to my mom. It is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Um, you know, to, you know, I've been able to graduate on Mother's Day. So those Mother's Day gifts were very easy. I just had to walk a graduation. Um, I, I did not get to do that this year. I do not have a degree uh, to give her. So hopefully this shout out from on this podcast will help. Love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Oh, that is so sweet. Um, my mom doesn't listen. I'm not going to wish her a happy Mother's Day because she would never <laughs> hear it. The notion of my mom listening to an hour of me talking about Duke basketball, that, that, would, that would be the worst Mother's Day she could ever endure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sam, your turn. Parting shot time. I I would also shout out to my mother, but I don't think that she listens, although I tell my parents every week that when I'm recording and, and that they should tune in. And my dad is a big Duke basketball fan, so we're, I'm still working on it. Don't worry. Um, they did know that we were talking to Nolan Smith this morning. My mom, he, my mom's, Nolan is my mom's favorite player. So maybe this will finally get it. So mom, if you are listening, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Um, my parting shot is going to be about Duke lacrosse. They... The men's team lost yesterday to Ohio State in the NCAA tournament, which ends a remarkable run of Final Fours that started way back in 2008 when uh, I was a freshman. Um, or no, sorry, in 2007, the, the, when I was a senior in high school. Um, the, they've been to the Final Four every year since then. They've won three national championships. And, uh, John Donowski, so this is the first year that John Donowski has not been to the Final Four as the head coach at Duke. It's been an incredible run for them. You know, if you're if you're comparing it to other teams, it's it's probably on par with that run that Coach K had in the late '80s and early '90s of making it to the Final Four seven of nine years and winning two championships. Um, John Maskey's done an excellent job of 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 leading this Duke program. They've had a number of um, of All Americans and guys who have gotten to play professionally, and we don't talk about it, I think, as much because you know, I, I don't think that we much as much to lacrosse as we do necessarily the basketball and, and the football. Um, but John Danowski has done, has done an excellent job at Duke um, leading this program and, and, and bringing home championships for them. And I know Donald has been at a couple of those national championship games. I've, I've been lucky enough to, to attend some of them as well. It's a lot of fun. If you get a chance to go to a lacrosse Final Four, it's not quite a basketball Final Four, but there's still a lot of that same excitement. It's, it's a great time, and, and the Duke program is in, is in good hands despite you know, this year maybe being a down year because we were only like a, 
a five or a six seed in, in the country as opposed to like one or two. So um, congratulations to the men's lacrosse team. Sorry that their season ended earlier than they would have liked, but it's been a great run for them. You know, you mentioned lacrosse really quick. Um, I happened the other day to catch 60 Minutes Sports. 60 Minutes Sports is a program that's on Showtime. It's um, 60 Minutes, but it's all about sports. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? Anyway, uh, 60 Minutes Sports um, had an extended version of the of the Mike Pressler, uh, the former Duke lacrosse coach who was ousted following the um, – lacrosse scandal uh, a little while back. They had an extended version of that story that originally appeared on 60 Minutes. And and uh, it's a really, really good, really interesting um, uh, sports story and and part of uh, Duke sports history. It's certainly not our finest hour, but um, uh, not our worst either. Um, a, a, but I really recommend folks, if you have Showtime, if you have access to Showtime, um, 60 Minutes sports story on Mike Pressler and, and what he's done since he left Duke. Um, is really, really worth a, worth a watch. But my parting shot uh, is Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner, who is back in the headlines um, uh, uh, because of Kentucky politics. Uh, I'm sure folks have heard about this, but uh, I'm going to mention it anyway. So in the Kentucky governor's race, uh, the GOP primary, a couple of the candidates were having a debate. They were kind of angry at each other, accusing each other of dirty tricks. And one of the candidates... <clears throat> One of the candidates turned to the other one and said, you're the Christian Leitner of Kentucky politics, which I'm sure he meant as a huge insult. Obviously, in the state of Kentucky, there is nothing worse than being a Christian Leitner because he was, that means you stomp on people's chests and things like that. But Christian saw this, and Christian Leitner, as only Christian Leitner can, he chimed in on Twitter and he said, does that mean he wins? Oh my, and pretty much Christian just dropped the mic and walked off the stage after that. It's just so funny. Uh, Kentucky hates him so much, and every chance he gets, he reminds me, he goes, oh, yeah, but by the way, I won. So, Christian, tip of the hat to you, my friend. Uh, you, you, you have won again in the, <laughs> in the contest to see who can uh, win the governor's race. Christian Leitner is the clear, the clear winner in Kentucky. Um, guys, anything else? Or are we done? That's good for me. Good deal. Well, uh, folks, thanks for joining us once again here on the DBR podcast. Um, I am Jason Evans, my colleagues, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Thanks for joining me. And a huge, huge thank you. Shout out to Nolan Smith, who was with us earlier, giving us some stories about um, the NBA, his time at Duke, his relationship with Quinn Snyder, and how Coach K is really a Spartan. What did I say? Quinn Snyder. Did I really? (laughs) (laughs) Down there in Utah. Uh, Great job. Um, No one probably knows Q. Uh, I'm sure they've met. Um, He has a relationship with Quinn Snyder. Knows every single person. Knows every every (laughs) basketball person ever. I'm convinced of that. Oh boy, I'm having a tough time with names. I'm old. That's the problem. Maybe if you would put on some real clothes this morning, you would have been you'd have been a little more focused, Jason. (laughs) There we go. Remind everyone that I'm wearing pajamas. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That's it for the DBR podcast. Evans out. Duke band. Take us home.